If you're new to Faith Bible Church, I'm Pastor Steve, and I get to be able to share God's word with you today. So let's open up our Bibles into the book of Matthew chapter 11. We're tracking our way across the book of Matthew, and today we'll be in chapter 11, verse 2 down through verse 19. We've noted thus far in our study that the Apostle Matthew, the human author of the book, has at least two main goals in writing. One is to encourage unbelieving Israel that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. And when I say Messiah, it's a very specific reference to the Old Testament. The Hebrew word Messiah is actually, that's actually the word. It's a transliteration, meaning that Every Hebrew letter in that word is just brought across to English. And so the word Messiah is actually a Hebrew word that means anointed one. There's a Greek equivalent to that word, which is Christos or Christ. So when we say that Jesus is the Christ, we're saying that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed king. And that is a reference to Old Testament truth. For example, 2 Samuel 7 is God's promise to David that after him, one of David's descendants will sit on his throne and reign forever and ever over God's kingdom, over a kingdom of righteousness and peace. And so Matthew is writing to say, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And he's writing to prove that. We noted in chapter 4 that Jesus' earthly ministry begins. Matthew's record of it. We noted in chapter 4 verse 12 that John the Baptist is arrested. And after John the Baptist's arrest, Jesus leaves the region of Judea and goes to Galilee, centers in a town called Capernaum, and there carries on a teaching ministry. For example, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. A preaching ministry, which we saw in chapter 4, verse 17, and other places. And a healing ministry, which we saw in chapter 8. When we came to chapters 9 and 10... We noted that there, Jesus commissions the 12. He sends them out to serve him. And with very specific instructions. But those instructions are not just limited to the 12 apostles. But ultimately, all of Jesus' followers, his disciples, have a calling to be his witnesses. And Jesus drove home the point that to be Jesus' follower is not easy. If we are living our lives so that Jesus Christ can be seen in us, those who hate him will hate you. And as Jesus' followers, at times we will experience rejection, some persecution. As we come now to chapters 11, 12, and 13 of the book of Matthew, Matthew records these three chapters as chapters of rejection. Account after account of how people choose to reject Jesus Christ. And we're going to see in these verses that I'm going to read right now from chapter 11 verse 2 down through verse 19. That John the Baptist 
is rejected as Jesus' messenger. And by doing so, by rejecting Jesus' messenger and his message, they ultimately reject Jesus Christ. I'll read it out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Matthew chapter 11, starting to read in verse 2. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who's more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among the, those born of women, there's not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they said, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Opposition to Jesus. And we're going to see in this section really two truths that I want us to to focus in on. One is that Even John the Baptist, this one who's foretold in the Old Testament, this one who is a witness to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, even John the Baptist had questions. And Jesus did not despise him for having questions. Jesus didn't reject his questions. Jesus actually took him back to the the Bible Helped him find answers to his questions and then encouraged those around as to John the Baptist's heart and John the Baptist's ministry. He actually lifts up John the Baptist even though he has questions about who Jesus is. And if John the Baptist has questions, it's okay if we have questions too. The other thing that we're going to see is that people are Going to reject Jesus. We have a God who desires all men to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his heart. 
But people will choose to reject Jesus Christ. And sometimes in rejecting Jesus Christ, they choose to reject Jesus' messenger and the message. And by doing so, end up rejecting Jesus. There's always some way for someone to find fault and push away the message of Jesus Christ. Well, as this section begins, this new portion of the book of, Ma- of the book, this section of the book of Matthew, chapters 11, 12, and 13, Matthew begins by showing John the Baptist's ministry being rejected. Even though John the Baptist is full, it was prophesied, his ministry is prophesied in the Old Testament. He pointed other to other people to Jesus being the Messiah. Even John has questions. Look with me at verse 2. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him. So in chapter 4 verse 14... Matthew recorded that John was put into prison. He was arrested. We don't know until chapter 14 verses 3 through 5 why John was put into prison. He spoke truth to Herod. That Herod had his brother's wife and that wasn't right. And it ticked off Herod's wife and Herod stuck. John the Baptist in prison. And so we find John imprisoned. It's not unusual to have someone reject the message. Many years ago, I had an opportunity to just speak truth about Jesus Christ into a guy's life named Tom. For a long, months, I talked to Tom about Jesus almost daily. Tom considered himself to be an intellectual. And his premise was that Christianity is for the weak and the uneducated. So he loved to bring me articles showing that once people get enough education that they don't believe in this Christianity thing anymore. And that areas of the world where people are educated are not very Christianized. It's only a religion for the uneducated and the weak. That's what he always came back with me at. And I would try to speak truth into Tom's life and talk to him about the claims of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for us and the fact that he is God and he left the throne room of heaven and was as the second person of the Trinity, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the price for the sin of humanity and rose again from the dead. And then Tom would come back and say, well, people who have a hard time coping with life need that, to believe in that. But I don't need that. And we carried on this conversation for months and months and months. Finally, one afternoon, I remember it clearly, I looked at Tom, I said, Tom, someday you're going to die. And you, if you continue in this rejection of Jesus Christ, you're going to find yourself in hell. 
And you will then realize that everything that Jesus claimed to be, as the Bible records it, is true. And he looked at me and smiled and said, you may be right. I haven't had contact with Tom for many years. I hope that he came to a point in his life where he did put his trust in the person of Jesus Christ. His dependence on Jesus. Realizing that he cannot be a good enough person to make things right with God. But people are going to choose to reject Jesus Christ. And sometimes they reject his minister. And sometimes they reject the message. Well here, John the Baptist, who's been carrying on a preaching ministry, finds himself in jail. Probably now for about a year. And he hears about Jesus' ministry. In fact, it tells us in verse 2, while in prison, he heard of the works of Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? This is John the Baptist. This is the one who was preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. This is him. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now he's sending a messenger to Jesus saying, are you him? How can John the Baptist have questions? And one of the things that is important for us to see is that all of us in our spiritual journeys, we all start out at the same place, this place about the place where we ask, who is this person, Jesus Christ? And to get from there to a point where we are convinced that Jesus is God who died for us on the cross and rose again, it requires questions and answers so that our faith is based on truth and we are convinced in our heart of that truth. We can't get there without asking questions. And here, John is asking a question. Are you him? Now it's interesting. Remember that Matthew is proving that Jesus is the Messiah. In verse 2, Matthew writes this. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. This is the only place in the gospel of Matthew When Matthew refers to Jesus, he simply refers to him as Christ, as Messiah. And there's a reason for that. Matthew is recording this section where John the Baptist is questioning Jesus' identity. But Matthew, before he even records that dialogue, wants us to embrace the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. He starts out the account by assuring us of that. And so John has been hearing about what Jesus has been doing and it's leaving him with questions. Now here's why. John has been preaching, the kingdom is coming. It's imminent. Repent. And with the kingdom, we see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the kingdom is not just A message of joy for those who uh, believe in the Messiah. It's also a message of judgment for those who reject him. 
And John's been hearing about all these mighty works that Jesus has been doing. He has been healing people. He's been, he has been delivering people from demon possession. He's even raised from the dead. And where's the judgment? All I hear is about his blessing. Where's the judgment? And so John sends word. Are you him? And he uses a very specific title here in verse 3. Are you the expected one? Literally those words are the coming one. Remember Matthew is basing so much of what he records and writes for us on the Old Testament. And here even in recording this question of John the Baptist. It's a reminder that. What John is saying is, are you the Messiah? This title, the coming one, the expected one, is actually a specific title for Messiah. It's based on passages like Isaiah 35 verses 5 through 6. Isaiah 61 verse 1. Where, I'll I'll just read Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 quickly here. In Isaiah 35 it says this. Oh, excuse me. He's asking that based on Isaiah 59 verse 20. I'll read that passage. 59 20 says this. A redeemer will come to Zion. And passage after passage so that Jews or Hebrews started referring to the Messiah as the coming one. So here he's saying, are you him? Well, Jesus sends word back. And what does he do when John the Baptist is questioning? He takes him to scripture. And there he takes them to Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. Isaiah 61, verse 1. And gives him this message in verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. You see, Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah, and he takes him back to the scripture, to the Old Testament, to show him, to encourage him, to strengthen him in his faith. Even John the Baptist questioned Who Jesus is. And if John the Baptist can question. So can we. We all have to go through that process. Where faith becomes our faith. Where I'm not believing in Christianity. Just because my mom and dad do. Or my sibling does. Or my children do. Or my friend does. I believe it because I have Ask the questions that I need to ask. So I put my trust in the reality and the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on in this section and actually defends John. He is saying it's okay that John asked this question. Remember, you know, John sent these disciples to come to Jesus and other people hear this conversation. It'd be easy for someone to get a critical spirit and say, well, he's been preaching, the kingdom is coming, Jesus is the Messiah, and he doesn't even know himself. Here's what Jesus does. He comes to John's defense in verses 7 through 15. He says to the crowd that have gathered around, hey, who'd you go hear? Did you go out to hear some weakling, 
Somebody who's just like a piece of grass that blows in the wind. Did you go out to hear some guy who's just walking around in soft clothes, just like he lives in a palace, just some guy that's just has a ministry because it makes life easy for him? No way. You went out to hear a prophet. In fact, Jesus says he's a prophet like no other prophet before him. Notice verse 9. I tell you, one who is more than a prophet. And the reason why Jesus said that is unlike the other Old Testament prophets who did foretell Messiah is coming, this prophet had prophecy about him. In other words, he's the only prophet that had another prophet say that he was going to prophesy. Jesus says there's no one that's been like him. And yet I tell you in verse 11, he says, one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Because those who actually enter the kingdom will have the vantage point of actually seeing Jesus on the throne. And they will have more full knowledge about the kingdom than even John the Baptist. Jesus is affirming John. He's telling us he was actually foretold in the Old Testament. In verse 10, he quotes from Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And he goes on to say that if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah in verse 14. And he's staying in the book of Malachi. And in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Malachi calls this proclaimer, this forerunner to the Messiah. He calls him Elijah. And so Jesus is saying this, if you would put your faith in me, Israel, and accept me as Messiah, believe that I am the promised one of 2 Samuel 7, then the kingdom will come in. And John the Baptist will be Elijah as foretold in the book of Malachi. But you are rejecting me. And we see here a beginning example. Chapters 11, 12, and 13 of Jesus being rejected. He keys in on that rejection in verse 12. And says from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent men take it by force. And he was referring to this growing opposition on the part of Israel's leadership toward Jesus. Even taking the forerunner, John the Baptist, and casting him into prison for a year. John the Baptist, in fulfillment of prophecy, points people to Jesus as the Messiah. But even John the Baptist had questions. Many of you know, uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to spend a month in India with Rotary International. And I lived with five different families in India, most of whom were Hindu. So when you live with someone for a week, you get to spend spent a lot of time with them and asked, I asked a lot of questions and found out about their lives in a, in a very deep way. Every home, every Hindu home that I was in 
had a, a place for them to worship their gods. The very wealthy actually had a room set aside in their house for worship, they, a puja room. And inside of that room would be an ornate kind of an altar and little gold statuettes of their gods. And one of the families I stayed with every morning, the wife went into the puja room at 4.30 in the morning, stayed there till about 6 or 6.30, praying to her little gold statues, pouring milk over their heads and praying to her gods. Every Indian home that I went to that were Hindu, when you went into the home, had a statue of Ganesh. Ganesh is probably the most well-known of the Hindu pantheon of gods. It's the god that has an elephant head. And several of my hosts explained to me the origin of Ganesh. Ganesh's mother, Parvati, the goddess of fertility, wanted to take a bath. And she did not want her husband, Shiva, to interrupt her bath. Shiva is very high up in their uh, level of their system of gods. He would have been creator god. And so Parvati put her son outside of the door. And said, do not let your father in while I'm taking a bath. I don't want to be interrupted. Shiva comes home. Says to his son, why, what are you doing? I'm guarding the door because mom doesn't want you to bother her. He says, I'm not going to let any door keep me apart from her. Takes out his sword and chops off the head of his son. Well, needless to say, mom's mad. And so she says... You've got to go find a new head for our boy. So Shiva goes out, finds an elephant, chops off his head, brings the head back, puts it on the boy, and that's where Ganesh came from. I had one man tell me, and I'll never forget this, he looked at me in the eye and he said, we don't know if any of this is true. But the important thing is that we believe it. And he was very, very serious in that comment. We don't know if any of this is true. But the important thing is that we believe it. I am so thankful that Christianity is based on truth. It's based on what we can see through Truth. It's based on eyewitness accounts, multitudes of eyewitness accounts. It's based on this book that we know to be God's word to us and affirms itself to us as God's word. Even in looking in the book of Matthew, we've seen prophecies that were made 800, a thousand years before Jesus came to earth. And then we see those prophecies come to fulfillment. We see this book and other material outside of the New Testament affirm to us the reality of the person of Jesus Christ on earth. We see eyewitness accounts in this book of those who witnessed the resurrected Christ 
after he went to the cross and died. We see accounts proving that he did die. We see accounts of an empty tomb. We can have our faith rest on truth. And it's okay coming from this point over here where I'm curious about what is this all about Jesus? And getting to this point where I'm convinced that Jesus is God who died for me and rose again. It's good. It's really a prerequisite to ask questions to get from there to here. And whether you are a young person, whether you're an adult, we all have to head down that pathway so that we in our hearts and our minds can say, my faith in the person of Jesus Christ rests on reality and not myth. It's important for us to embrace that. Say you are a parent or a grandparent and you have a child or a grandchild that has questions about Jesus. Say, let's talk about it. Let's work on this together. It's okay not to know the answer. We can say, you know what? Let's investigate that together. Let's find the answer and find the answer together. This Tuesday morning, I'm having coffee with a buddy of mine who came to me a couple weeks ago with this question. He said, we just had Easter. I, I understand the whole resurrection thing, but what I don't get is why did Jesus have to die? And so we're meeting Tuesday morning to talk about that question. Why did Jesus have to die? Great question. I'm so excited to sit down and have a chance to talk with him. Because that's the kind of question that people need to ask. And coming from curious about this whole Christianity thing. To being convinced that Jesus is God who died for me and rose again. And that I want to put my trust in him. Because he's my only way to be right with God. We don't just get there just because my friend believes it. Or my dad believes it. Where my neighbor believes it, I have to believe it. So here is such an encouraging passage because John the Baptist, the forerunner, even is asking questions. Well, the other thing that we see in this section in verses 16 through 19 is that some people are going to reject Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ. They're going to. In fact, those who want to reject the message about Jesus will find ways to criticize. They'll criticize the message. They'll criticize the messenger. Here, Jesus says, "How? what can I possibly compare this generation to? Israel, you are like children in the marketplace. Verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Most likely, this verse seems a little bit strange to us. Most likely, it's describing a children's game. I grew up with younger sisters. There used to, I don't know if it's still out there. Now, there used to be a game that my sisters loved to play called the Game of Life. I hated that game. 
It's like about weddings and I don't know. I, I wanted to play Stratego or something where you had to engage the brain and had strategy and you're trying to... I didn't want to play the game of life, but these kids are probably playing the wedding game. And hey, you're not dancing in the wedding game, but you don't want to play the funeral game either. We, we, we play the funeral music and you're not mourning. You're not playing the wedding game. You're not playing the funeral game. You're not, you're, nothing satisfies you. And Jesus goes on and draws that point home in verse 18 and 19 and says, you're doing the same thing, Israel, with John the Baptist and Jesus. You complain about John the Baptist. Oh, he just sits out there in the desert. He He's eating bugs and honey and he won't drink any alcohol. The guy's possessed by a demon. But out of the same breath, you're saying about Jesus, oh, he's a glutton. He just parties all the time. He's hanging out with all those sinners. And, and they're, all they do is banquet. And Jesus says, so look at it. You're rejecting John the Baptist because he doesn't hang out with people. And he's living this ascetic lifestyle. And you're attacking Jesus because he does hang out with people. And he is not living an ascetic lifestyle. You see... When someone wants to reject Jesus Christ, it's not hard to find a flaw in the message or the messenger. And they reject the message because of the flaw they find in the messenger. God wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.3, but not everyone will. You guys are familiar with this. People love to say, well, I would become a Christian except because of Christians. Bunch of hypocrites. They they don't live out what they believe. And you know what? Each and every one of us can identify with that because we all know we still sin. It's easy to find flaws. I like wood. I've always liked wood. When my wife and I were going to celebrate... Our 25th anniversary. There is a dear brother in the Lord. Who was part of our church family. Named Harold Crutchley. Who is a master craftsman. And I hired Harold to make a bedroom suit. Uh, a bedroom furniture. For my wife to celebrate our 25th. Because we had always just had junk. Literally junk. Stuff like we're going down the road. And someone's throwing out a dresser. And we grab it. That's what our. For the first 25 years of our lives. That's what it was. And then we bought some stuff for a hundred bucks. It was just a mess. So beautiful. Harold's a craftsman. And I love cherry. So I had it all made out of cherry. When my father died in 1999. My mom gave each of us kids. Some money to remember dad. I went down to Amana because we always went to Amana as kids. Went to the furniture store and took the money and bought a cherry bookcase. Just to remember my dad. Because my dad was a man of books. And he loved the Amanas. He loved going to the store, uh, the furniture store. That's what I got. We have cherry end tables. I love wood. Even when I buy a shotgun. My first nice shotgun that I ever bought. I had Cabela's lay out four of them on the counter so I could pick out the one with the nicest wood. I just love wood. I These synthetic stocks for you gun people. Ugh, I, I, no. It has to be the wood. The look of the wood. The smell of the wood. But you know what? There's always a problem. It gets scratched. 
Oh, I can't tell you how hard it was on me. The first scratch I put into my shotgun. Oh, it's scratched. And then it really put me over the edge when we got our first scratch in our bedroom set. Now everything is scratched. But you know what? I'm guessing if we really looked hard enough, everything was probably already scratched before we even got it. Stuff gets scratched, doesn't it? And as believers in Jesus Christ, we're the first to say, yeah, I've got my own share of scratches. And if someone wants to reject Jesus, it'd be easy for them to look at my life and say, I don't want him because look at this guy. Now, Jesus Christ wants us to live lives so that people can see him in us. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 tells us that we're supposed to be setting Jesus Christ at such a pinnacle in our life, centering on him that he is the master of every aspect of our life that people will actually want to seek out and ask, what's different about you? What's the hope that's in you? And we have an opportunity, a platform to share Jesus. But what what happens when we mess up? Years ago, I was sitting in my garage trying to service my lawnmower, getting it ready for spring. I am not mechanical. I hate anything mechanical. I'm always cutting myself. What I just I'm terrible at it. In fact, I just got my John Deere back yesterday. I've learned a very important lesson from Andy Griffith. Just call the man. It's so much better to send it to this expert, give him 50 bucks. He gets it ready to go. Every other year I do that. The off years I work on it myself. Well, this day I'm working on my lawnmower. It's not going well. And I think I, I, if I remember correctly, I could not get the blade, the bolt on the blade to release. And my hand slipped and I bung up my hand on the frame of the mower. And I can remember standing up, taking that wrench, screaming very loudly, throwing the wrench through some cardboard right when our next door neighbor was walking up with her little kindergarten boy. So I'm going, ah, throwing my wrench and there's blood coming down. And here's our next door neighbor with her kindergartner as Pastor Steve is having a tirade in the garage. (laughs) Now what do you do with that? I mean, it wasn't good. It was worse than what I described. I mean, I wasn't swearing or anything, but I was screaming. So what I had to do is about an hour later, after I thought about this, I went next door, rang the doorbell, went up to my next door neighbor. I said, you know what? I really blew it. I was not a good example to your son. I need your forgiveness. I just apologized. I didn't know what else to do. Except people need to realize that being a Jesus follower doesn't mean that we never sin. But being a Jesus follower means that I have a deep appreciation for the grace I found in him. And he forgives me even in my weakness. Because when people want to reject Jesus Christ, the first thing they want to do is find something in you 
to say, to give them cause to reject Jesus. And as much as we can under the empowerment of the Spirit of God, we want to keep that from happening. But none of us can all the time. And so, we have to try to point people to him despite us, in spite of us. People will still choose to reject. It's interesting here at the end of verse 19, Jesus' last words on this subject. He says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And I think what Jesus meant is eventually people are going to look at the life of John the Baptist. And they're going to say he was the real deal. He was speaking truth. It's important for us as we look at this passage to remember that asking questions about who Jesus is, is great. We need to embrace it. Hey, let's walk that journey together. Let's investigate that together. Because when people are asking questions, it helps us remember they're on that journey, that same journey that we're on, moving from curious about who Jesus is to coming to a point where they are convinced that he is God. And if you're here today and you're on that journey and, and, and you want to find out more, we've got some material we'd love to give to you back in our prayer room. One of our leaders from Faith Bible Church will be back there and be happy to give some of that to you. You can just stop back there and ask for it. It's also important for us to remember that sometimes people are going to reject Jesus Christ and they'll do it by rejecting the messenger and that's not God's heart but that's what people do we have a responsibility to try under the empowerment of the spirit of God to point people to him just like John the Baptist did so that they too can see Christ lived out in us